Good morning. Well, today we're going to finish up uh, the series we've been working through called Helping Children to Understand the Gospel. And today we're going to answer the fifth question, and that is what is evidence of saving faith and how do we harvest the fruit of the gospel in our, our little ones? Um, so that's what we're going to do in our time together. Um, two things I want to say on the front end. First, um, Brittany handed me a note just a minute ago and just said, if you need some encouragement for parents, there's a child back here that's reciting 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Um, yeah. Anybody know that by heart? Can you recite it? Boom sauce. That's what I'm saying. There it is. Um, and I want to say to you as well, I don't know if you've been back in the back recently, but uh, it's blowing up, right? Um, we're going to breed the kingdom <laughs> one way or the other. Kingdom's coming. Um, Radical Kids, maybe it's the most populated evangelistic ministry at Three Rivers Community Church. Um, a lot of gospel work going on back there. And, and two things. Um, number one, if you're not serving, you're needed. You don't have to be a parent to serve. If you're a member of Three Rivers, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to put your soul in front of a little one who needs the gospel. I mean, what's not to like about that? Is it work? You bet. Go back there and watch Poston in the baby room. He'll have three. They're crying. He's holding the trash can up with a foot going, transcendentalism. And so it's, it's working. And those of you who know Poston, he's a worldview guru. And so he's teaching even the crying babies great things. And so it's work, and, but it's needed. And so if you're not serving... Uh, there's an instant place for you to get involved. You don't have to be an astute teacher. You just need to be a warm body who's a member who loves Jesus. And uh, and you are qualified. You only have to be back there once every five to six weeks. So, I mean, my Lord, if you can't do that, may God have mercy on you. Um, see Brittany Hayes. I think she may be back there. Brittany, are you in here? There she is. Hand raised. See Brittany. She'll get you on the schedule. Uh, you need to do it. Okay? So... What are the evidences of saving faith? How do you reap a harvest from the transforming work of the gospel that's taking place? Well, there's a couple things I want to say on the front end to set ourselves up here. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. um, What Jesus says here, he also says in Luke 17, 1 to 2, and in Matthew 18, 1 to 6. I give you those because I I want you to see that each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record Jesus speaking these words. But I'm going to hang with Mark 9, 42, because we're also going to take a look very quickly at Mark 10, 13 to 16 for introductory matters. I don't know if you noticed Jesus' ministry, but children love Jesus. I think that's always interesting, that, that little children loved to come to Jesus. Um, and so Jesus spoke some, some very um, stern words of caution regarding children. In Mark nine forty two, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him 
if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Children aren't to be tossed to the side as if they're irrelevant, nor to be pawned off for free babysitting because you need a break. They're a precious gift from the Lord. Arrows in our quiver that we are intended to equip and train as dangerous ambassadors for the king. And so time with them is precious. It's vital. Um, It's not to be taken for granted. And in that time, we are to be very careful that we lead them toward the gospel and never away from it. Jesus said if we if we lead them into sin, if we lead them away from truth, it's better for us to have a great millstone hung around our neck and drown into the sea. That's a that's a stark image, is it not? In Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Jesus doesn't have time for these children. Get them away from here. He's got more important things to do. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry. Jesus got angry at them. And he said to them, let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it and he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them Jesus welcomed children he he welcomed little ones I think what's interesting is children right now um, children are, are most open even in their state of fallenness from from conception Children are most pliable, aren't they? You know, you can, you just, if you, when you have children, you start recognizing it because they, they don't do what you say, they do what you do. They're very impressionable. And they just imitate what you do. And it's vital to understand that we must lead them to the gospel and we must not hinder them in any way from coming to Jesus. Having said that, I think it's important to state becoming a Christian involves understanding the reality of the gospel, turning away from unbelief and rebellion and turning to Jesus in repentance and faith. And the key parts of this are repentance and faith. I think it is best to understand becoming a Christian as a process rather than an event. Which is why I wanted to read those two passages of Scripture to set the tone. Because this work of the Lord in the gospel is a process. And it's vital for us as parents, for us as workers to understand there's a process going on back there right now. There's a process going on when you leave here today with those little ones. And it's vital for us as we stated all the way back in answering the first question, in joining the Lord in that process and not being a hindrance. Even though there is a moment of initial belief, and many of us in this room 
can can speak about that moment for ourselves. Even though there's a moment of initial belief, there were glorious and amazing and miraculous events at work leading up to that moment. And, and for you in this room who've believed the gospel, you've trusted in Jesus, if you if you will look back over your life at that moment when you believed, you can you can trace the things that the Lord did to lead you to that moment. Perhaps that moment was earth shaking and emotional for you. Maybe it wasn't earth shaking and emotional for you. Maybe it was a quiet moment and a cerebral event. That there was just an instant change. Either way, what led to that moment is as miraculous as the moment itself. I believe it's vital to understand there's a process in play here in the work of the gospel that we can't ignore in the lives of our children. Therefore, we have to be careful not to be a stumbling block in that. We have to be careful not to impede that process. We desperately don't want to get in the way of that. Rather, we want to help that process along as parents and radical kids workers, as church members. Each day and each conversation, each radical kids day, each Sunday sermon is another link in the chain of this process that leads to that moment of faith and repentance. If we pay attention to the scriptures, I think it becomes very clear to see and put together this process in scripture. The Father, Son, and Spirit is working, and the astute evangelist pays attention to this work. If you've done any work with lost people, okay, if you've been in front of anybody who does not believe the gospel, this process can, can be clearly, clearly seen. Um, the first thing we have to say on the front end of this is, is number one, is, is the glorious issue and the glorious reality of God's grace and election. The fact is, our parents fell, and as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, all of mankind is under the curse. But God, in His rich mercy, determined that He would save people from all nations, and He would comprise a bride for Himself made up of people from all nations, and He would save them through the gospel. And so the glorious work of God to save for Himself a bride called the church is where it begins. But then there's this reality that we see in Romans as we looked at um, over the past few weeks is there has to be a gospel call. Number two, there has to be a, a trumpeting, a heralding of the gospel message that beckons people to come to Jesus. But then the gospel call leads to another piece, and that's the work of regeneration. Being born again, according to John 3, when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, quoting from Ezekiel. 36, 25 to 27, you must be born again. There has to be a washing. And there has to be a replacement of a cold, dead heart. And there has to be a renewal in the placing of His Spirit in an individual. There has to be regeneration, being brought to life. Then there's the glorious work of conversion or transformation. Pick your word. That's faith and repentance. That is, they see, they believe, and they turn and follow Jesus. Then... The glorious crux of salvation and justification that no longer are they guilty, but Jesus' death in their place for their sin counts for them. Jesus lets them go free and takes their sin on Himself. And then the glorious work of adoption, whereby 
God takes that newly transformed, justified child and makes him a member of his family and they get his name. And then begins the lifelong process of sanctification, right conduct in life. And by the way, if you believe the gospel, that glorious gospel call, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption has happened. And, and you're in that process of being sanctified. You know, you're in that process of being made more like Christ. And you're in that process of learning what it is to live like a Christian. And boy, we fail, don't we? And But he loves us anyway, and we're, we're his children, and he disciplines us as a father disciplines his children, and, and he teaches us how to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Then there's perseverance, remaining a Christian. You know, salvation's work isn't done the day you believe and repent. Salvation's work is just beginning. You've got to continue. You've got to persevere. There's no such thing as turning back from Jesus and having been transformed to follow Jesus. It's like Peter said to Jesus in John 6, when everybody was leaving Jesus and forsaking him because of the hard teaching, Jesus turned to them and said, do you want to leave too? And Peter's response is, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. I, I, you're it. I, I don't have anywhere else to go, Jesus. Persevere because, well, where else would I go? Then there's the glorious gift of the grace of death. Whereby death becomes the servant of the Christian to take us through the finishing processes of sanctification and complete what he started. This is why for Christians the death is, is that's different, isn't it? It's, it's, not, it's not our master, it's our slave that finishes sanctification. And then the glorification deal in which we receive a resurrected body where... And we'll dwell for eternity. That's the process that's taking place. And every single one of you in here who believe the gospel, you're in that process today, aren't you? He's sanctifying you. Teaching you to hang on. We don't have to fear death. It's our slave. He's going to give us a resurrection body. We're in this process. Maybe some of you are still in process. And the gospel call is just reaching your ear. Maybe regeneration is taking place in some of you. I know the gospel call is going on back there. And I know regeneration is happening because I see it in my own children. But there's a process that the Lord is working through as we preach the gospel, whether it be to our children or to our friends. There is a process in play. And the astute evangelist pays attention. And if you preach to or talk to, to, to friends that, that aren't Christians and, and you say the gospel and you tell them the good news and, and, and all those things and, and it just seems to bounce off, you know? You know what I'm talking about? I hope you do because that's what we're supposed to be talking to lost people about the gospel. And, and it bounces off them and it's frustrating. And, and the reality is... They haven't been awakened to life. Their heart hasn't been softened to receive that, that message yet. Regeneration hasn't taken place yet. But you know when you're talking to somebody that kind of sponge and they're soaking it in and they're tuned in and you're even not on your game. You're like, I'm not even sure I'm making sense. I don't know. But it's like they're listening and, and something's happening. It's this electric moment. Man, regeneration is taking place. And you're on the verge of... Conversion, transformation, faith and repentance. This process is glorious and it, it would behoove us as astute evangelists to pay attention to it and particularly as parents. So, what are some guide stones that we can look for in knowing our child, our children, 
have been made ready. Have been made ready. There's the gospel call and the spirit has made them ready through regeneration to make that self-denying profession to follow Jesus. What are some guidestones that we can look at and help us to reap, harvest that work? Which, by the way, we used to say at Youth for Christ, we used to say in talking about evangelism and, and the work we did with students, um, a gentle tug. I don't know if you ever picked fruit. You go to the northeast Georgia uh, portion of our state in the fall and pick apples. A ripe apple doesn't require you to yank the tree down to pull it off, does it? A ripe apple, slight twist, and it's there. When it comes to the fruit of the gospel, you don't have to yank a kid or a person into the kingdom screaming and kicking. The gospel call produces regeneration and regeneration leads to repentance and faith. And all you've got to do is be ready to... And so what are some guidestones that help us see that, that that child or that person is right there so that we don't stand in the way, so that we don't become a stumbling block, so that we encourage them to come to Jesus? How can we be a co-laborer with the work of the gospel rather than a stumbling block? Well, I'm going to give you some things this morning to kind of help us along the way there. And then we'll close with some concluding thoughts and be ready to move on to gospel faith in the Old Testament next week again. Number one, it's a question. I think Jeff's got it for you back here behind me. Does he or she understand the gospel so they can articulate it in their own words? And we gave you these books parents and i hope you're using them and by the way i hope you're using the devotions in the back of that little book are you please nod please tell me you are those devotions are gospel saturated devotions to be having with your children at night when you go home on sunday afternoon after radical kids do they understand the gospel so they can articulate it in their own words do they understand the work of justification now I know not every child, not even every adult is going to care to use big Bible words. That's not my point. My point is, can they articulate the gospel in their own words? If you ask them, what is the bad news? What is the good news? Can they tell you? Can they tell you? Do they understand the work of the cross whereby they're guilty, but Jesus can make them not guilty? I think it's vital to ask our children those questions. Hey, tell me what the bad news is. I didn't get any ice cream. No, no, no. I don't mean that bad news. I mean, I mean, big story. Jesus, God, earth, salvation. What's the bad news? Teach them the bad news. What's the good news? Who is Jesus? What is what is his death? What does it matter? Who cares? Ask them those questions. Teach them to answer those questions and learn to watch and see when those answers have landed on tender hearts. And it's not just, okay, I know these facts, but man, those facts are doing something in me, Dad, Mom. Do they understand the gospel? So they articulate it in their own words. That's a good guidestone. Good guidestone. Another guidestone. That helps to see when they're at that conversion point, that transformation point. Is there a strong conviction of what sin is and that it's not good and there's a desire to turn away from sin? By the way, that's good for us too. Is there a desire present 
that clearly knows the difference between rebellion and obedience. Do they understand the rebellion in the garden? You cannot talk about the fall enough with your children. I can't talk about the fall enough with myself. I need to be reminded daily of why I am where I am and why the state of my soul is as it is so that I can turn to the good news and recognize the magnitude of that good news, that I'm a rebel and that rebellion has affected my entire being, but because of no goodness of myself, the King, the second person of the Trinity, came and died in my place for my sin and rose so that if I repent and believe, He would give me a new heart, He would change my soul, and there could actually be a war going on in me between my soul and my flesh that's healthy, You want your children. You want us. We want to know that there ought to be this conflict in us of, I know in my soul that's good and right and holy, but I don't want to do it. That's that's good. That's a wrestling because that means something's different on the inside. You know? You want that. You want that. Paul wrestled through that in Romans 7. And so... Is there this conviction that, that, that there's rebellion and, and there's a desire to turn from that and do good things that are right? Not, not good things as salvation, but because Jesus is changing me, I don't like that anymore, Mom, Dad. I don't know why. Which, by the way, I hope you start to recognize some of these things, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, may not happen early in life. And we're going to have to be patient in shepherding our children to these moments. And I'll say something about that in just a minute. Number three, is there a real love for Jesus and a desire to obey His Word? Is there a real love? Do you know if you have a real love for Jesus and a desire to obey His Word? You know? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? Is there a real passion for the King of the universe and a desire to obey His Word? Do they want to know more about who Father is? Listen, when our children are asking theological questions, that's good. When they're asking tough questions about sin and Jesus and the Word, that, that shows there's, there's something, there's a spark going on in there. They want to know. Is there a real love for Jesus, a desire to obey His Word? Is there a desire growing for the Scriptures? Have you cultivated that as a parent? One of the first things your kids need to see when they rise in the morning is you in the Word. I don't. That's not law. That's not written in the Scriptures. I'm just going to give you that as a little nugget. That when they get up in the morning, they need to see you in the manual for the day. And I don't care when you get your quiet time. That's fine. You get it when you need to get it. You read Scripture when you need to read Scripture. That's You do whatever you need to do. But as a way of an example, set the standard for them that when you rise, you go to the manual to see how to live that day. So that they see that in you. When they rise, they see you and they have a love for the Scriptures cultivated in their little souls. Number four, is there a persevering love of Jesus? We like John 3.16. I think we all know it by heart, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish have everlasting life, right? You guys know that, right? That's like... Bible School 101. I mean, that is like I'm not even a Christian 101. I mean, you see that at football games. I was like, yeah, I see it in the end zone. John 3.16, right? The importance of John 3.16, and this was in your little book. 
And I'm so glad they put that there because it's often misunderstood. And this is where part of this idea of a process comes from. The present tense in the Greek language implies continuation, not just a moment, done, over, forget about it, move on. It implies a continuation. John 3.16, whoever believes can rightly be translated, whoever continues believing in me. Not only does that little word imply continuation, the context of John 3.16 does as well, because that's kind of what's playing out in John. John 2, he turned water to wine, they believe in his name. Jesus says, I don't entrust myself to all those people because I know what they're doing. John 3, Nicodemus, new birth, regeneration. If you continue believing in me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever continues believing me won't perish. John 6, those who believed in John 2 in his name because he turned water to wine, walk away. And that's when Jesus turns to Peter and says, you want to go? No, no, no. You got the words of life. I'm here. Those who continue believing. Those guys didn't believe that he could make wine for them. I'm in. You've got to drink my blood. I'm out. There was, they didn't continue believing, did they? They walked away. Jesus isn't Mr. Rogers. Uh-oh. Bye. So is there a persevering love? Do they want to keep following Jesus after maybe it cost them something? You know what? Their cost of being a Christian, even as a, as a little fella or a little girl, treating somebody kind when they've not treated them kind. Why did Jesus let that happen to me, Dad? Maybe because he wants you to learn perseverance. Is there a persevering love for Jesus? Number five, is there a witness of the Holy Spirit in the child's soul? Turn me to Romans 8, 15 to 16. And I know we're all over the place today. We're going to camp in Hebrews 11 next week. If you're not, I'm going to wear you out with Hebrews 11. Romans eight fifteen to 16. Is there a witness of the Holy Spirit in the child's soul? Listen to this carefully. Let me just read verse 12 too, because it's kind of a paragraph. It needs to stay together. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. This is the part in which the Holy Spirit counsels the soul to be at rest in the reality that it has been rescued and is secure and God truly is Father. Listen, you've got to know your kid to know this. Growing up, I told you my story when we started this series. From the age of 12 to the age of 20, I was desperately afraid for my salvation and had absolutely no clue what to do to fix it. There were times as a 12-year-old, I would wake up in the morning and there would be people gone 
early because parents had to go to work and I have to get myself up and get ready to get on the bus, go to school. And, and you know, that morning haze, you're kind of like, ooh, I'm not sure where I am. You know, you wake up and you're like, oh, this is kind of funky. I remember having these moments going, oh, my God, Jesus has come and I'm left and it's over. And it used to devastate me for the day. There was no confidence, no Holy Spirit saying, you're mine, I got you, relax, chill, it's all good. You're, my ba- you're mine, I've, I've made you my child. This is that, that work of the Holy Spirit that counsels the soul to be at rest. In the reality, it has been rescued and is secure and that He's truly Father and He's truly got you. That didn't happen to me if I was 20 years old when the gospel invaded, transformed, maybe a new creature. And there was, there was a settling that took place in me. There was this relaxing. Dude, seriously, maybe some of you guys are feeling this a little bit. I used to drive around as a teenager and have these, you know, maybe leave school, leave practice or something, trying to go home or maybe to a friend's house, coming somewhere. And I have these moments of dread and darkness. I could not describe. I had no reason for them. And I used to have this fear that I can't even enjoy nature and creation around me because the dread was so deep. And it was... I don't know God, and I knew that's what it was. I don't know who you are. And I'm confused, and frankly, there's sometimes I don't care, there's sometimes I do care, and it was just awful. When Holy Spirit comes in, there is a witness, there is a testifying, there is this work of adoption in which our souls then say, Dad, Father, man, you've got to know your kid to know that they're at rest. Is there rest in their soul? That, man, he, he's got me. I'm really, really not worried. Which means, dads, you've got to talk to your kids. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to communicate with them. How do they hear? How do they understand? Galatians 4, 4 to 5 kind of goes along with this. I'm really careful. I didn't want to camp out here too much. But um, Galatians 4, 4 to 5 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This requires discernment. It requires knowing the Holy Spirit's witnessing work in yourself. And this requires cultivation of your child's soul. By the way, do you know why? I think Adam made the statement uh, when I gave him a copy of this, like back in Mayish, uh, uh, just a hard copy of this book. And Adam texted me later in the day and said, now I think it's easier just to have my kid raise their hand and pray a prayer. And we were kind of joking. Yeah, I think so too, man. Why don't we just do that? Have them raise their hand, pray a prayer, and be done with it so I can move on. It, this, this requires work, doesn't it? It requires parenting. It requires effort. It requires, requires work. Which, by the way, I think that's the presupposition of the Scriptures when they talk about train your children. Training isn't a one-time event, is it? It's a continual. If you've trained for anything, you don't go, you know, you don't go ride your bike for five miles and go, I'm ready to ride a sensory, do you, Brad? You, that's not the way it works. Like you don't, you don't go put on some pads and say, I'm ready for a football season because, you know, I've got pads on. It requires work. 
Harvesting the soul of our children is, is work. Parenting. Engagement. Number six, do you see the fruit of the Spirit? This is, this is the passage I have to be really careful with because I, I can find myself getting extremely fired up when some people do this to this passage. I don't know if you've noticed the subject verb, subject verb agreement of Galatians 5.22. It's like uh, the Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but that's bad. Subject verb agreement. It should be man's chief ends are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? That'd be better grammar, would it not? Unless glorifying God and enjoying God are the same thing. Meaning, I glorify God by enjoying God. Which is exactly what they meant. They weren't stupid. That's why they said man's chief end is... To glorify God and enjoy Him, which means man's purpose is to enjoy God, thereby glorify Him. Well, notice Galatians 5.22. Same thing, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The point seems to be that with indwelling Holy Spirit, there is a cultivation of all this fruit in some degree or another. And by the way, that's good for all of us right now. That's not just, let me look for that in my child. That's, let me look in the mirror. Love in some degree or another. Joy, peace. And by the way, Peace not meaning an inward peaceful feeling about doing hard things. Peace meaning peace toward God and man. Okay? Because by the way, I don't have a peace about standing up here right now. This terrifies me in case you know. You need to understand, Jesus is going to get me if I'm wrong. I don't have a peace about being an elder or overseer. I'm not at rest And thereby, that's my litmus test for knowing I'm doing the right thing. This terrifies the stew out of me. Because if the Scriptures are right, I have to be right. No room for wrong. And I'm wrong all the time. Which means that makes me really nervous. Peace meaning peace between God and man. So, by the way, if it makes you nervous... Don't let that be an indicator that I'm not supposed to do that because the Lord's supposed to give me peace. No, 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 no. It ought to terrify you to obey the Lord sometimes. That's okay. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Right? Just understand that. So, I'm going to stop there. That's free. Um, But peace between man and God. there's, There's peace. There's inward witness of the Spirit that me and the Lord are together and I have peace with one another. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see that fruit in your child? Number seven, is there a pattern of spiritual growth? In Second Peter 1, 5-10, which Michael taught us through this um, back in the early part of the summer, In 2 Peter 1, 5-10. For this very reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's exhorting these Christians not merely to confess faith in Christ, but actually to live as he taught them. He isn't saying that works are prerequisite for salvation, but rather he's arguing that faith must take a concrete form in life. And all the virtues listed in verse 5 to 7 are results of faith. So faith is listed first, while love being the ultimate result of faith is listed last. Do you see a pattern of spiritual growth? Do you see faith? Do they trust the Lord? Has there been regeneration? Are there high moral standards? Is their knowledge of God increasing? Is their self-control increasing? You know? Is steadfastness increasing? Is godliness increasing? Is brotherly affection increasing? Is love increasing? Are those increasing in you, in me? Guidestones. That's what these are. Little guidestones to help us see when it's time for a gentle tug. Remember. Remember, in conclusion, you are a priest. You don't need one of your elders to discern this for you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And as a priest of the Lord, you have the capacity to discern these realities and receive the fruit of your child's salvation. And aren't we all excited about those moments? Like, dude, I am. I, I'm, I'm jacked about those things. That makes me excited. It makes me excited to know what's happening back there right now. That there is gospel proclamation. There's regeneration taking place. There's faith and repentance birthing back there. So here's some things to take these guidestones and go away and do with them. Keep a journal of what the Lord is doing in your child's life. If you don't journal, start today. And write down the things that you see in your child's life that's going on. Write down the guidestones. Look for those little things that are taking place that point to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, keep the radical kids' resources we sent home with you. Don't file 13 them. Put them on a bookshelf and use them. That's good stuff. Number three, read the Bible to your children and get them a Bible they can read. Get the Jesus Bible storybook if you need to. Get that for yourself. It's good. Get it. Read it. Number four, when your children ask spiritual questions, be eager to have those conversations. You know, sometimes your kids, just, like I said, you've heard me say this before, they get on your nerves, right? Like, I'm done. Or sometimes I come home, I'm like, uh-uh, no, leave me alone. <laughs> and and then, then they ask a theological question, and I feel guilty. When they ask those God questions, man, and those spiritual questions, let's engage them. Let's have those conversations. And you know what? I'm probably practically wrong here, so kill me. Don't be afraid to tackle deep theological issues with your children. Spirit's bigger than that, man. If it's in the Bible and they're asking questions, do your best to answer them. The Lord can do stuff in that that I wish I had those questions. I just didn't have anybody to answer them for me. You know? It would been awesome if somebody had sat down and said, you know, let's read this. You get it? No, I don't get it, but thanks for trying. That would been awesome. Some type of help. Just read and help them answer their spiritual questions. Number five, don't discourage belief and reception of the gospel. 
Don't discourage belief and reception of the gospel. I had one of mine that's not sitting in here today um, say this week's out of the blue. We're driving to Chick-fil-A. Dude, I'm hungry. And I want some nuggets, man. And uh, spicy dressing on the side. I know that's not a sauce that comes with it, but spicy dressing. Touchdown. Thank you, Jesus. Love it. So I'm hungry, and, and just out of the blue, this my, my kid says, Dad, when I became a Christian, I started uh, asking, what did he say? I, I kind of tuned out, so I'm trying to remember exactly what he said because I got stuck on when I became a Christian because the first thought to my mind was, you're not a Christian. I was thinking, what do you think you mean you're a Christian? And, and then I was trying to process, okay, back up, back up. This is an important moment. I know you're hungry, nuggets, spicy dressing, relax. And so, and, so, and so we just had a conversation about what it means to become a Christian. And I'd probably flubbed that up in 100,000 different ways. I, I, I'm quite sure I did a couple, couple of places, which I don't want to air my folly in front of you. But I don't want to discourage their belief and reception of the gospel. If he thinks he's become a Christian, then let me start discipling him as if he is. That's okay. You know what I mean? Because I think what you're seeing is we're not going to do the raise your hand, pray this prayer, and it's okay now. I don't want us to play that game with a child's soul just because it may alleviate our conscience as parents. I want us to be careful with those precious souls. And if they say they're a Christian, then treat them as if they are and disciple them into the faith. Does that make sense? Because, dude, by the way, I don't know if you've... It's not natural. It's not according to our sinful nature. I'm wanting to follow Jesus. It's usually, I want to continue to be a rebel. And, and, if, and if your kids are, are, are saying they believe the gospel, then go with it. Disciple them as if they are. Teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That makes a little bit of sense. Number six, though, don't encourage belief early just to satisfy your fears and desire to have your conscience clean. If they're not ready to do that and they're not doing that, don't encourage it just to make you feel better. The good news is it's ultimately not up to you anyway. It's the gospel and Holy Spirit, and you just need to be faithful with the gospel on your children. Does that make sense? So don't just try to alleviate your fear using your child. Number seven, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Man, have a soul that is listening intently to what Spirit is doing and follow His lead. He will guide you in ways that if you weren't worried about spicy dressing and nuggets, would be much better off. And then eight, and finally, when you are satisfied, your child, your student has believed the gospel, we'll go through baptism class. We'll, we'll take you and your family. We'll talk about what it means to be baptized. And we'll get them wet. We'll dunk them. We'll throw a party. We need a reason to celebrate, right? Preparing the children for the gospel. Parents, we're on this journey together. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to be in the gospel together, and we're going to figure it out together. But we're going to stay faithful to the gospel. We're going to love our kids. We're going to lead them to the gospel. And we're going to do our very, very best with you to raise up a kingdom of priests to our Lord. That's kind of fun, isn't it? He never fails us. He never will fail us. We're going to trust Him with that, all right? Let me pray for you, and then we're going to respond to the Lord. Father, it is truly a joy to, um, truly a joy to have our little ones be continually inundated with the gospel. It's truly a joy to, um, truly a joy to see the regenerating work of the Spirit, even in my own kids. And it's truly a joy to see it in other children. It's truly a joy to to see your people 
rallying around preparing their children for the gospel. It's an absolute joy to watch this go on, and it makes my heart do amazing things. Um, Father, I pray against the work of the evil one. I pray, Father, that you would cause the evil one to to be banished from our thinking and from influencing our, our emotions and our thoughts. I ask that all the effects of the evil one would be absolutely thwarted through the work of the Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, that you would cause us to think clearly and feel clearly when it comes to our children and the good news. Father, I pray that you would raise up a godly generation who loves Jesus and believe for the gospel and that you would mobilize a crew of people to touch the nations from what's going on behind us back here. Father, I thank you that you have made no mistakes and no errors in who's back there right now, who's working and who's listening and who's sitting here now. And pray, Father, you'd use every second as another link in the chain of the work you're doing and building here. And pray that, Father, we can't miss it. I pray for patience for us parents, that you'll help us to patiently walk through this process with our children. Pray for discernment so that we know when to give a gentle tug and when to wait. Pray, Father, that you would help us to be okay and at rest with your leading us in this process. Help our trust to be deep and strong, please, and our comfort level be deep and strong. And may we enjoy you in that and thus glorify you. So we need your help now for these things. As we come to respond in song, be pleased with what we bring to you. May you be honored in that.